<laughs> How's everyone today? Good. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and we've got our first candle lit, the candle of hope, which means, uh, for, for one, we're going to be speaking about hope this morning. Uh, Chris is going to be speaking about faith and love, joy. Actually, I don't think faith. He's going to be speaking about love, joy, peace. And then uh, the Sunday before Christmas, the Sunday evening, he's going to be, or maybe the Sunday evening, he's going to be speaking about Jesus. And, and specifically, we're going to be talking about how to give. So how to give hope, how to give love, joy, peace, all these things. So that's kind of the theme in this time of giving, this season of giving. Uh, we decided to kind of focus on that. So I hope you come out the next couple of weeks. And uh, this morning we're going to start with hope. But before we do that, let's just offer a quick prayer to God and thank God. There's a lot of feedback here, Scott. Thanks. Let's just uh, offer a quick prayer. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room would be acceptable to you, our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. Um, so hope. Wow. There are so many angles you can ta uh, attack hope at. And it was one of the most challenging messages I've prepared in the short time I've been preparing messages, but it's been one of the most challenging messages because I, it's hard to like know how to like how do you attack this this topic, and um, yeah. So I, I guess what, what what I'm saying is I might not be the angle you were looking at this morning, and, and that's okay. But I hope that you just be gracious with me. I think that as sin-filled creatures living in a sin-filled world we are very, very much in need of hope. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. We need hope. And I think hope keeps us afloat. I think God wired us this way. Now you can hear me. I think God wired us this way to have hope, to need hope, to, to yearn for hope in our inmost being. Have you ever, I mean, have you watched the news recently? Do you not get the sense that we are living in a very messed up world, in a world that is not as it should be, right? Um, one of uh, grassroots statement of faith, our statement of faith that we came out with last year, the church came out with, one of the lines says, humanity has failed and the world suffers for it. I think that's the easiest part of that statement of faith to believe because you don't have to take, it doesn't take much to look around and see just how badly we failed and how much our world suffers for it. Humanity has failed and the world suffers for it. Whether it be human inflicted wars and fighting, like the current situation going on in Israel or Syria where, I don't know about you, but my Facebook, at least once or twice a day I get, yes, I'm on Facebook that much, it's sad, but at least once or twice a day, I get photos of children being maimed from bombs that have gone off in the Middle East. And you're just like, ugh, this is, this is terrible, right? Or um, natural disasters like Sandy that hit the, the East Coast not too long ago. You know that there's something like $60 billion worth of damage from that? That's insurmountable. Speaking of money, our... National debt a weekend ago reached $600 billion. The United States national debt is $16 trillion. 
Try to wrap your head around that number. Here, this is what it looks like. There's nine zeros after it. That is a ton of dead. But when you consider, like, what, is the, what are the implications for us as a country, as a society, to try to, like, get out of that debt? It's just mind-boggling. You should be filled with hopelessness and despair because it's not going to happen. <laughs> and so, then there's a story, or, or, or our own nature as humans, right? I mean, we don't have to look very far to see hopelessness and despair. Um, the story of Amanda Todd, who is... Probably when I say that, you, you know instantly who I'm talking about, but for those who don't, uh, she was a, a teenage girl who was bullied online. She's from BC. She was bullied online. She made a video to kind of like, as a cry for help. How many people saw that video? Right. She made a video as a cry for help, and then shortly after that, she committed suicide. That in itself is terrible. But then, if you do a search for Amanda Todd on Google right now, do you know what will come up? Tons and tons of comments mocking that, mocking her, ridiculing her, scorning her. That's how depraved we are as humans. And right now you're probably thinking, wow, thanks Mr. Sunshine for coming to share with us all this good news. I'm so glad I got up this morning, right? Well, sometimes we need to be reminded of that, and about the story that we find ourselves in. The truth is that sometimes the darkness and the cruelty and the ugliness of the world all around us just seems to close in on us, and we feel the despair, and it weighs us down. How many here have ever listened to Bruce Colburn? If you're over 20 and you're Canadian, your hands should be flying in the air. I love listening to Bruce Colburn. Um... He's a Canadian legend. Anyway, there's a song that he came out with in 1984, so like I was two, but I've listened to it since, and it's a great song. It's called Lovers in a Dangerous Time, and there's a really good line in it. And this is the line. Yeah, I love that that worked out. I was really excited about that. Yes, thanks to Scott. Scott, you're awesome. Okay, we've got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. What a great picture that is, don't you think? Kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. Um, in other words, instead of just accepting the darkness and the hopelessness around us, we fight against it, we kick against it. We kick against the darkness with the light of hope. And I want to speak about using this hope to fight against the darkness this morning. I want, to, I want to make hope something that we can grab a hold of and give as a gift to the world. Not because we thrive on cliché, but because we yearn for truth. And at the core of truth, there is hope in Jesus. And because the despair and brokenness that we're faced with doesn't have to remain, we can kick against that darkness until light bleeds through. And so to start, we need to go back to Genesis. And I want to begin by talking about a time before there was hope. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't need hope. 
That might kind of sound weird to you, but think about it for a second. Why do we have hope to begin with? Hope is one in our current situation to change into a future situation, right? So if things aren't good, we want to hope that things will get better. Adam and Eve didn't have that concern. Adam and Eve walked around with this mysterious light all the time, communing with him, and just existing and having all of their hopes, or having all of their uh, needs and their desires and everything just met as is. So there was no such thing as hope. But then there's that moment in Genesis, you might have heard of it, when Eve and Adam decide to disobey God, right? And, and so then, all of a sudden, hope kind of comes on the scene. And this now is a set of new rules that they have to follow. And here's what J God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. He says, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it, curses the ground because of you. Though pain through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. No, this is the wrong one. But listen to what I'm saying. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So now, there's this realization amongst Adam and Eve that their time, that their days are numbered. Before then, there wasn't that concept. There wasn't this understanding of like a finite number of days or a life that's going to end. It was just like, we're going to commune with God forever and this is going to be glorious and there's no need for hope because God is here. And all of a sudden, they've fallen, they've sinned, and now there's this very real need for hope. Right? Suddenly, their present situation was no longer ideal. And they began to yearn for change. And then... Things go from bad to worse. Chapters 3 through 11 of Genesis are pretty grim. The next story we read in the Bible is about Cain and Abel, and Cain murdering Abel, right? And then we, a few chapters later, read about a, a global flood that is just catastrophic. Everyone dies. And then later on, we, we read about the Tower of Babel and the crazy mishap that that was, right? So it's just like one after another, nothing's going right. And then, in like the climax of this hopelessness, God gets a hold of this nomad wandering through the desert. His name is Abram. Abram. And this is what he says to this nomad. Genesis chapter 12. Now we can go there. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Hold on. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your names great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, a few chapters later, we see this covenant laid out a little bit more clearly. That Abraham's offspring will be as plentiful as the stars in the sky. Right? That God promises this land, the land of Canaan, the holy land, to, God, to Abraham's lineage forever. God's covenant sets out all of these wonderful promises to Abraham and his descendants. And so for like the first time in several hundred years, there's a very real sense of hope that has a focus. Right? So before that, people just wandered around thinking like, this life is terrible. And now under Abraham, there's this focus that, okay, there's this promise that things are going to get better. And this promise to Abraham 
This promise that all nations will be blessed through the people of Israel, that there will be blessing forever. This sets the cornerstone for all of the Old Testament. This passage in Scripture. The very key passage. It is referred to over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Psalms, throughout Exodus. Whether the people are in slavery in Egypt, or they're wandering through the desert for 40 years, or whether they are in exile in Babylon or under siege by the Assyrians, or whether they are under Roman rule, they are constantly referring back to this passage in Genesis, that your offspring will be a blessing through all people. Through you, there will be a blessing through all people. Now, let's skip to the New Testament then, okay? This is Luke chapter 1, and... The scene is Gabriel, the angel, comes to this girl, Mary. She's a 13-year-old, 14-year-old teenager living in the region of Galilee in occupied Rome, or in occupied Israel, right? Galilee is being occupied by the Romans. And an angel comes to her, and this is what he says. He says, chapter 1, verse 30 through 32, he says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. So here's Mary, this simple girl who had no idea what was coming to her. And then suddenly like the greatest message of all, meets her in the middle of the night and says, yeah, you're kind of a big deal. Things are about to happen in your life. And you're going to be carrying the baby who's been, told, who's been foretold for millennia. He's going to be the one, the hope of the world. And so, I don't know if Mary fully understood the implications, but she clearly got something out of this because Here's what she does. She gets up in the middle of the night and she runs to her cousin Elizabeth, which is several miles away. She runs to Elizabeth and when she gets there, this is the song she sang. We read it this morning, but I want to, again, read it because it's a beautiful passage from one, but pay attention to what she says at the end. My soul glorifies the Lord and in my spirit, or my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Mary remembers the promise that God made to Abraham and to her people Israel thousands of years before. And she recognizes that as soon as the angel speaks to her. She's like, this is the implication. This is the hope of the world. This is the hope that was given to Abraham. The promise that was given to Abraham is going to come through my body. 
So really cool. Uh, to me, that's really cool. That, I mean, it beautifully brings together the Old and the New Testament, right? The one the world has longed for, whether they knew it in their hearts or not, is here. The hope that started with Abraham has re-sparked in this little region of Galilee. This is God coming to our world. This is heaven colliding with earth. This is something magnificent, something beautiful, something game-changing is about to happen. Right? And it, it's in their midst. So we started in the garden when hope comes out of necessity because of the fall. And then we see how God's plan is to bring hope to Israel through Adam's, Abraham's offspring. And not just Israel. We are adopted sons and daughters into Israel, FYI. So don't think this is over there in the Middle East only. I'm actually speaking about all of us in this room and all of us around the world who call, Christ, who call Jesus Lord. Okay? Eventually we get to see Jesus. And here we have this simple woman who gets it, who understands, who on some level mysteriously gets the magnitude of what God is doing. He uses her almost literally as a vessel of hope, carrying hope into the world. That, I mean, that's literally what she does. God's intention through Jesus was to reconcile not just Israel, but all nations to himself. His mission is to bring peace and hope to a world that is desperately in need of it, to a world that mocks the death of someone online by making fun of her even more. That kind of world. To bring healing where there is sickness and destruction, destruction, that's the kind of hope that Jesus brings into the world. That's the kind of hope that we celebrate by lighting this candle at the beginning of Advent every year. And that's the hope that has culminated in the birth of Christ on Christmas morning. That's why we celebrate this. And Mary was one of the few who caught this vision of hope's intention, where it was going, what it was all about. She probably didn't understand the full implications of it. But the key is that she trusted God and that she was willing to obey him regardless. But I'm a virgin, Lord. That's going to look bad. Trust me. Okay. She could have been stoned. She trusted God anyway. And because of this, she and others who got it had their lives changed forever. And you know what I'm talking about this morning. If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus, hopefully you've experienced that as well, that your life has forever been changed because of the time, the moment, whenever, the life, the culture, the context in which you've been exposed to some kind of teaching about Jesus and recognize he's more than just some historical figure. He's actually the Savior of the world. He's actually the hope that I've been looking for. When you've experienced that as well, your life too should be changed forever. The darkness and the evil and destructive ways of the world were still very much in place, for sure. The ever-present reality of sin hadn't disappeared. And yet, first-century Judaism, first-century Jewish culture would never be the same as a result of this guy who came in and ruffled feathers everywhere he went. For those that bought into the kingdom message of Jesus, 